Monday, May 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Motley Pool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Matt Koppenheffer. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Howdy. Happy Monday, Chris. Uh, I think the, the, the word for today's Market Foolery is strategies. We're going to talk strategies today. Investing for retirement, uh, video strategies, uh, international expans- uh, expansion strategies. But uh, in the wake of Mother's Day, by the way, on, on the Motley Fool Money Show, we, we talked about the the Hooters promotion for Mother's Day. I'm assuming none of us took advantage of that uh, yesterday with uh, with either our mothers or our respective wives. Uh, oh, Chris, if I had taken advantage of that strategy, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Um, uh, Got to start with a, a quick shout-out to one of our dozens of listeners, uh, Mary Lou in Millersville, Pennsylvania. She works at the Burning Bridges Antiques Market in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Uh, and over the weekend... Our producer, Matt Greer, uh, did a little antiquing with his wife uh, <laughs> on Mother's Day and met nice. Mary Lou. Um, Mac bought uh, a non-working uh, old radio. Taking one for the team. Uh, <laughs> that a boy. Uh, but, you know, Mac's a fan of all things radio, so that's that's why one would spend money on an old radio that, that doesn't actually work. Uh, but uh, Mary Lou, uh, who Mac met w- uh, through the transaction, uh, said she's one of our dozens of listeners, big fan of, of Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money. Uh, and, and she told Mac that she's gotten some very helpful investing advice from the shows, um, which I think is either Mary Lou offering up some very generous and lovely very nice. praise, yeah, really um, or she was just trying to get Mac to leave the shop. Anyway, <laughs> I think it was one of the two. But, uh, but anyway, thank you to Mary Lou for listening and for spreading the word. Uh, with that, let's talk investing for retirement. Uh, we have talked before about Bill Gross. The manager of the world's largest bond fund, the PIMCO Total Return Fund, which has, if you're counting at home, somewhere in the neighborhood of 290 billion in fixed income assets. On Twitter on Friday, Bill Gross essentially called the end of the bull run, not for stocks, but for bonds. Uh, he wrote, the secular 30 year bull market in bonds likely ended April 29th, 2013. What do we make of this? I mean, it's one thing for Warren Buffett, who's Obviously, a a cheerleader, and I say that in the best sense of the word, for the stock market. But for Bill Gross, the cheerleader for the bond market, to come out and say, yeah, it's basically over. <laughs> Aren't you nervous if you're either investing in bonds, a holder of bonds, or, God forbid, a financial advisor who's trying to push someone into bonds? Well, I... You know, I, I think you got to be nervous looking at the yields, not at what not at what Bill Gross says. But and, and it's interesting you you bring up Warren Buffett. I was at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, and I'm heavily paraphrasing here. Well, not too heavily, but uh, somebody had asked Warren Buffett about Bill Gross and his new normal, and, and, and Buffett essentially said, "I don't care what Bill Gross has to say." Huh. <laughs> um, y- you know, what's interesting here is he, you know, he's calling this now. There have been people calling this over the past few years. Uh, it's incredible where bonds have gone. You know, the, the 10-year Treasury uh, is yielding 1.9% right now. Uh, that's ridiculous if you're legitimately looking at holding something like that over 10 years. In mid-2007, as recently as mid-2007, you get 5% for a 10-year. Um, so, you know, when we think about uh, prices being the inverse to yields, we are at a very, very lofty valuation for bonds. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're not bond guys here. We don't really talk a lot about them. But, I mean, it didn't take a genius really to look over the past several years and see that bond yields have just been plummeting. And so there's not really any return there. And so everybody's going to the stock market. And one of the big sort of, 
moves here instead of bonds, maybe people start people start looking for dividend stocks and trying to find those high yielding dividend stocks. And so we've seen a lot of those uh, dividend payers uh, getting their valuate the stock valuations pushed up as well as as people start looking for a substitute uh, to take the place of those bonds. So I'm not terribly surprised that he would say this, and I think the Apple offering more or less reaffirms that. I mean, we've got we've got offerings from Apple that are yielding somewhere in their neighborhood about a half percent. So I mean, you know. Relatively speaking, that's probably not going to really keep up with inflation. But by the same token, it's a safe place for big money to park that big money for a while. And if, if bonds realize any appreciation value over the time, over time, then I mean, maybe they'll be able to, you know, do something with those years down the road. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something we've been watching now for a while. And we've, uh, I think if anything, we've, we've advised investors looking for those dividend yielding stocks to be very careful about those stocks to make sure that they have the payout ratios that can support them. Uh, to make sure that the that the valuations are still somewhat reasonable before just diving in. I, yeah, I was going to say because if you go to one extreme and you look at this and you say, "Well, that's it. I'm out of bonds completely." If you're in your 60s or whatever, and you're you've got a, a significant portion as you near retirement in bonds, well, you can move it to cash, and that's obviously safe, or you can move it entirely into stocks and say, well, look at the yield that uh, Microsoft and some of the others are, are paying in, in terms of dividends. But if there's a correction, if there's a, you know, if there's a 20% drop in the stock market, which is probably coming at some point, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but at some point that's coming, then what does that do to your retirement? Well, and that's a good point that you make there because, I mean, I'd spoken with some friends down uh, in South Georgia, friends of my father's who... Uh, many of these guys, they were older. They were sort of in that stage of life where they were trying to, they're trying to protect their wealth as opposed to grow it. Right. And really, I think that's something that every investor needs to consider is what stage of life are you in? Are you trying to grow your wealth? Uh, are you younger? Do you have more working years ahead of you? If so, then you try to grow your wealth. But if you, if you're in the later years in life thinking about retiring, you need to start focusing on protecting your wealth. And a lot of these guys were protecting their wealth via investments in, in high yielding bank stocks things like that. And then the financial crisis hit and these bank stock dividends, not only did the valuations get just cut in half, right. but the dividends were just virtually eliminated. And so they saw these consistent, reliable revenue streams that they were really depending on virtually eliminated overnight. And it really put them between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it seems nice to, to talk about the, the, the yields that you can get out of stocks. And we, you know, we love stocks here, but they're not perfect comparable. So the unfortunate truth to this is that for people that need fixed income in their portfolio, it's uh, it, it's just a really tough time with, with yields as low as they are. All right. We'll keep our eye on that. Let's move over to uh, the world of video. ABC will become the first broadcast network to stream its shows live online. Uh, this is starting tomorrow, May 14th. Uh, in New York City and Philadelphia, they're going to be expanding to other stations by the end of the summer. Um, and I guess the the way someone does this, Jason, is they there's a, a Watch ABC app. People can download it, and then through WABC in New York and WPVI in Philadelphia, uh, they can stream their shows online. This seems like one of those no-brainer moves, <laughs> and yet I, I'm I'm wondering. Is there a downside to this move, or is this just, no, 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 they were just late to the game, and the other broadcast networks are going to follow suit quickly? Well, I, I mean, I think it's what we've been we've been observing for a long time here with, with the advent of things like Netflix and video streaming and Amazon jumping into the game and, and Hulu, that for the longest time, content has been king. And I think for the most part, content still is king. But catching up with content very quickly is convenience. 
And I think that we're all realizing that, and, and most of us, I think to a degree, uh, don't watch linear television nearly as much as we used to, certainly not, not like we used to when we were growing up. And so I think that, you know, for example, ABC looking at, at uh, you know, being able to offer their, their shows in a real-time setting on their app. Like I have the, the ABC app, the NBC app, and, and things like that where you can dig in and, and see some of the content that they have, but it's, it's a little bit older. Maybe it's a week old or something like that. And so they're, they're basically taking this next step to really give us that TV everywhere sort of offering where – you know, now the convenience is there. You can watch it on your television. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on your tablet. And so I think this is, this is encouraging, certainly for us as consumers, because it's, it's a necessary direction that these channels are going to have to take. And I hope that we see other channels. I think CBS is at least looking at doing this as well. And, uh, you know, you're seeing these cable channels like FX and AMC really putting out a lot of great content. And so on the one hand, you know, we always talk about cutting the cord. But the people who are cutting the cord can't necessarily get that AMC or FX content, uh, at least the new stuff, unless they go ahead and buy something like a season pass from iTunes. So I'm, I'm hopeful at least that they pursue this TV everywhere, uh, this TV everywhere initiative. And then all of a sudden, instead of cutting the cord, maybe consumers feel like now they're really getting a little bit more bang for their buck in the cable bill that they're paying. And because, you know, I have maybe 200 channels, I don't watch all 200 of them, but the ones that I do watch, I can watch them anytime, anywhere, right. and watch what I want to watch. So I, th- I think this is going to be a very a fast-changing dynamic to the space, but it's one that needs to happen. Well, and as we talked about last week with regards to Disney, the parent company of mm-hmm. ABC, Bob Iger, the CEO, called out, uh, specifically the challenges that they had with uh, the network, with the ratings, with the fact that they don't have as many hits as they want, they don't own the as many hits as they would like. Uh, this seems like this is one lever that they can pull that helps. It doesn't solve doesn't solve the ratings issue, but it does seem like uh, a, a step in the right direction. What do you think when you look at a story like this, man? Well, you know, when you talk about getting hits, you, you know, you want to have as many channels as you can for, for, for getting people to spread the word about a show. I, I actually am one of those cable cutters and, and haven't had cable for about six years now. Uh, so when a show isn't available, it, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it's funny that now the idea of tuning in at a particular time to a TV station to right. watch a show seems crazy to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. you want me to be in front of my TV at a particular time? Oh, hold on. <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> um, so, you know, to the extent that you can, you can get people to be able to watch things on their schedule, uh, there are more people that will be able to tune in. There are more potential people that will be able to advocate for your show. And, and then you create that, that groundswell that, that creates these big hits. I want to go back to one entity that you mentioned, Jason, and that's Hulu. Yeah. Because we saw recently Yahoo is reportedly kicking the tires on Hulu. And when you look at how Hulu was essentially created as this partnership among the major broadcast networks to say, okay, we're going to offer up our content in one place. This seems like if I'm Disney and I own ABC and I've got, you know, uh, one toe in the Hulu waters, if this works out for me, this, this watch ABC app, aren't I pulling the plug on Hulu? Like, does, yeah. if, if, if all the networks go in this direction, doesn't that make the need for Hulu Go away? <laughs> I, I think more or less it does. And I mean, I think that's one of the issues with the entertainment industry is that I know Tim Hansen said it 
uh, not too terribly long ago. There's just a lot of greed in this industry. There are a lot of hands in the cookie jar here. So it's always tough to figure out exactly, uh, you know, who has the upper hand here. But with something like Hulu, I mean, I think that's a good point because, you know, as it stands, I mean, we have a Watch Disney app, so I can watch the Disney Channel on our tablets whenever we want. This Watch ABC app is ext- is essentially just going to be, you know, an, an extension of that. And so all of a sudden... Yeah, I mean, if these networks all find that they can distribute their own content via their own apps or channels that you can download to your tablet and and you have access to just by simply subscribing to your cable uh, provider at home, then, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden Hulu takes on a very different proposition. I think a lot of people would find it to be virtually useless. Once again, the uh, the battle for the living room just gets more and more interesting uh, as we continue to watch. Um, finally, uh, Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is in Thailand. Um, he's there to announce the opening of Starbucks' uh, first community store outside the United States. Uh, and Matt, we were talking earlier, you look at the fact that uh, Starbucks opened its first store in Vietnam earlier this year. Last year, uh, its first store in India. Um, for all of the attempts at globalization, Starbucks is first and foremost very much a U.S. company. Um, and and when you look at the growth opportunities, I, I don't want to say the United States is is fully saturated because Starbucks has aims to to grow its store count in the U.S. in North America in general, mm-hmm. and yet overwhelmingly this seems more and more like a, a a company and a stock that is going to become increasingly dependent on the rest of the world. There, there's actually a, there's a great Lewis Black uh, skit where he talks about there being a Starbucks across the street from a Starbucks, yes. and that's the end of the world. That's that, that's the end of the world right there. Um, so you know it, it's this uh, the overwhelming bulk of, of Starbucks revenue still comes from the U.S. But when you know you talk about the stores in India, you talk about the stores in Vietnam, the early reports back that those are doing really well. There's tons of opportunity outside of the U.S. for for a company like Starbucks to hit. And, you know, from a broader sense, when we think about what a U.S. company is, when we look at the S&P 500 and think these are, you know, the largest U.S. companies. Right. But increasingly, not only current revenue, but the growth driver, the potential future revenue, that's coming to such a great extent from outside the U.S. that uh, when, when we look at the sluggish growth in the U.S. economy, this isn't necessarily – we can't look at this and say, oh, well, these U.S. companies are necessarily going to struggle because they're expanding out into all these other uh, 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 global economies. I think it was earlier this year that uh, we saw Caterpillar, gigantic mm-hmm. company, um, had to write down a, a massive loss due to – Bucyrus, wasn't it? Um, that that yeah, acquisition Bucyrus, I think. Yeah, it was basically they, they had accounting problems, and, it's like, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but Caterpillar essentially came out and said, yeah, this partnership that we thought we had, uh, was it in China? Yeah, it was, it was a Chinese, Chinese company. It was uh, – don't recall the exact specific. Basically, the math didn't work yeah. out, and it turns out we've been defrauded. And and I, I just stepped back and looked at that and thought, that's terrifying. Now, I don't own shares of Caterpillar, but I looked at it as, well, Caterpillar presumably did their due diligence over in China and years later found out, yeah, it wasn't really what they thought it was. Where I'm going with this is if, in fact, Starbucks and others are increasingly dependent on growth outside the United States, how big a risk factor is 
what we take for granted here in the U.S., which is the fact that uh, we have accounting standards, we have the SEC, we have standards in place that uh, make us feel comfortable about the numbers on the balance sheet that, frankly, you don't get that everywhere in the world. Is that a big risk factor? Is that one of those things where, look, if you want growth in China, you're going to have to take a little bit of risk? And in the case of China, that's part of the risk. Well, I think, I mean, I think it is definitely a big risk factor. I think it's going to come down to how pressured these companies feel uh, to make these acquisitions in order to to gain that growth. And so, like, I mean, I wasn't, you know, behind the doors with Caterpillar when they made this deal, but I, I have to believe. They didn't bring you in unfortunately, <laughs> on a consult? No, I, I offered my consulting <laughs> services, but they, they, they found they didn't need it. I guess I, I probably could have helped them out after, after um, you know, we've seen what happened, but. I wonder if maybe they didn't feel under the gun at least a little bit to make this acquisition because of the fact that we're in such a sluggish economy and there were there were good deals to be had. Uh, so on the one hand, yeah, they made they they say they conducted their due diligence, but it sure doesn't seem that way, does it? And so I think with any company, whether it's a U.S. based company or what you know, whether they're making U.S. based acquisitions or making uh, international acquisitions, you have to always look at them. I I think the default is you have to look at these acquisitions with a grain of skepticism, and then research them and find how they're going to prove out. Find find the silver lining. Find why that that acquisition is going to work. And I think. You know, that's one of the concerns I've had with Facebook ever since they went public is it just seems that the more time goes on, the more we're realizing their strategy is to, to grow, is, is just to buy that growth to really justify the valuation that they have. And, and integrating, even these are U.S.-based acquisitions, integrating those is just not so easy to do. Uh, to bring it back to Starbucks, Matt, uh, one of the things Howard Schultz said recently was right now Canada is the second largest uh, market. The U.S. obviously is the largest Schultz said that within a couple of years, he expects China to pass Canada and become the second largest market. How important is international growth and keeping an eye on sort of those growth metrics uh, when you're watching Starbucks? Where, where does that rank in terms of factors that are important to you as an investor? Uh, because it seems like the sort of thing that you don't need uh, to break down a balance sheet to just look at the numbers saying, well, look, you said you're going to grow this many stores over the next few years in China, in, you know, in these other countries. It seems like it's easy to track, but it also seems increasingly it's important to track. Yeah. Well, from a success perspective for the company itself, but also, you know, Howard Schultz, he's, he's a known entity. We, you know, trust him as a, as a CEO, but, uh, from the perspective of, of learning about management, uh, learning the metal of management and, and whether we trust them, one of the things that I always like to do is I, I like to, it, it sounds almost too simple to even mention, but listen to what they say they're going to do and then look to see if they deliver on what they said they were going right. to do. Exactly. So from the perspective of if they're saying uh, this is how much we're going to be growing in China, investors can very easily track and see a couple of years down, down the line, has that growth materialized or are they making excuses? Um, and, and that's a very, you know, Starbucks or whoever you're talking about, I, I, I find that to be a very great uh, uh, insight into management. Isn't it nice that Starbucks got out of the movie-making business? <laughs> For as sweet and lovely a film as Aquila and the Bee was. I did love Aquila and the Bee. And it was a lovely film. Isn't it nice that they decided that they're not going to make movies anymore? Jason Moser, Matt Coppinever. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.
So what? Uh, you bought the radio that doesn't work. Okay, so here's what, the story. What what came in second? Do what you was, anticipate it working someday? Okay, I, I first have to clarify um, that I was the one who wanted to go antiquing on Mother's Day. Uh, I know, I know, uh, I know, I know, I know, and I can't believe I use it as a verb. But I, I also want to say that my idea of antiquing is like looking for like junk and discarded trash that might have value. Or I, I'm a I'm a nostalgia guy. So I see this great old radio from the 40s. I'll show it to you. And I'm like, this is wonderful. I have to own this. It's only 50 bucks. I'm basically making money on this deal. Yeah. And my wife gives me the disapproving look that some of us may know. And <laughs> Honey, we can't afford not to buy this radio. It's <laughs> such mean, a good deal. But come on. I mean, nothing says Mother's Day like buying junk that you don't need. So I, I think that's true. And, and she made a Fred Sanford reference. I said, oh what, what do you think about this? And she said, I think you're Fred Sanford, <sighs> you know, referring to Sanford and Son in the junkyard. So I go to the checkout. Oh, and I also make the point. It is one of the all-time great theme songs it's in, great. in the history of television. And, and at this point, I'm flailing a bit and trying to justify the purchase. It's a, and I'm like, listen, you ought to basically count your blessings as addictions go. And this isn't really an addiction, but I'm, I'm not a gambling addict. I, I'm <laughs> You're not a, a hoarder is what you are. I'm not an arsonist. You're I'm a not a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder. Because oh. most of the time, I don't even buy this stuff. I just like the, I like the pursuit. I like the unknown. I like the fact that uh, there could be you know, some value there. Right, um, there could be the hidden gem, the diamond in the rough. So I go to the counter with my fifty-dollar non-working radio, and the woman who works there says, "I've got to know why you would spend fifty dollars <laughs> on a radio that didn't work." <laughs> the woman selling it to you. Yes, That's amazing. And to which I respond, "I've got to know why you would sell me." A radio that doesn't work for $50. Oh. And yeah, in the boom. greater scheme of things, as we always talk about in the market, every trade, there's a buyer and there's a seller. And yes. each party thinks yes. they're right. Yes, yes, yes. There's a there's a seller and there's a sucker. Um, and so <laughs> so anyway, no, it's a great radio. And, and I say, well, you know, I work on a show and we do a podcast. We do a radio show. And I thought it would be potentially maybe nice to include it in the set. And, and I don't know. She's like, what show? And I said, um... The Motley Fool. And she's like, I get The Motley Fool. Nice. And I'm like, oh, you get one of our newsletters or one of our services? And, and she says, um, no. Um, she says, I, I listen to Motley Fool Money, and I listen to your other show, and I'm one of your dozens of listeners. Oh, she's oh, spot on. And, and I'm not going to tell tales out of school, but let's just say that our advice, apparently we give advice, has been very helpful for Mary Lou. That's wonderful. So there you go. And, and then she went on to say that she loves these kind of outtake exchanges. So... You well, you, you need to mint this one just for her. Yeah, I've told that story four times today, and everyone follows up with a question. Or well, did she give you the radio for free then? <laughs> <laughs> did she? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Who's got to make money too? <laughs>